Okay, guys, today we're continuing in 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. I think by way of introduction today, guys, if you, uh, if you would turn your Bibles to Isaiah. Isaiah, we're going to look at chapter 53 and also the last three verses of chapter 52. And this is going to be our introduction today. And the reason so, because the text we're looking at today, Peter is looking back to this chapter. You guys know this is, this is referred to as the, the section in the Scriptures where we look at our suffering servant. And so in the five verses we're looking at today, um, he directly quotes, and I think verse 22, but really all of the verses he's referring back to this portion of Scripture. So I just want to read this. Uh, this passage in Isaiah 52 and 53, and that way you can hear, as we're going through the sermon today, you can hear Peter's thoughts referring back to the Old Testament. So Isaiah chapter 52, starting in verse 13 through 53. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them they will see, and what they had not heard they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that is silent before its shears. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit found in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great and he will divide the booty with the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. So this text here, uh, I think it's really clear for all of us to see. I, I would imagine everybody in this room can clearly see that this is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's amazing you know, as we, as we go through this text today, obviously we're, we're going to look more into to his suffering. You know, how, how he suffered and what he suffered on our behalf. Um, you know, you could read this passage, I think, to many people in our day who maybe aren't even real familiar with the Bible. And they're going to think you're reading right out of the New Testament. That's what's beautiful about this passage. It's, it's such a picture of the gospel right here in the Old Testament. And really, this is 
I guess on a side note here, as I, as I was reading this text, you know, if you think about the nation of Israel and national, you know, a true uh, Israelite, a true descendant of Abraham, and, and you think about the, the, the spiritual blindness that is upon many of them, did you guys know that in many of their, uh, you know, in their public readings, they skip over that passage because it's so obvious? You know, and it made me think in, in Romans eleven twenty five, 25, um, it says this, Paul said, a, a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in. And really this passage helps you see the reality of that. If you've ever tried to talk to somebody from the nation of Israel who's just hardened, and there's, there's a blindness over them. And I think the Scriptures tell us that, um, that for the most part, that's going to be until... And there's going to, day, there's going to be a day come when, when God takes the blinders off of many. Um, but that's, that's really a side note, guys. Turn to your, turn to your Bibles now in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going, to, we're going to look at verses 21 through 25, guys. I'm going, to read, I'm going to read the text to us and then pray. And then we'll go through it. So Peter says this, beginning in verse 21, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in His mouth. And while being reviled, He did not revile in return. While suffering, He uttered no threats, but kept and trusted Himself to Him who judges righteously." And He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by His wounds you were healed. For you were continually strained like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Father, please help us today, Lord. Give us ears to hear Your Word. Father, give Your people ears to hear. Uh, Lord, give me grace today, Father, so that Christ is glorified, Father, and Your will is done. In Christ's name, Amen. So you guys, the title of the message today, since you guys do do not have a bulletin today, is Called to Suffer Like Christ. Called to Suffer Like Christ. And so again, in the Old Testament, this is the suffering passage that we, uh, so many of the writers in the New Testament look back to. Um, very, obviously a very clear portion of Scripture that you could share the Gospel with someone right there from uh, Isaiah 52 and 53. And so that's what Peter's appealing to today in the text. And a few weeks ago, we, uh, we looked at really you know, submitting to the, to the um, governing authorities Last week, we looked at servants being submissive to your masters, and we applied that to the, uh, probably in our day, the best comparison, because there's not an exact comparison, would be that to, of, of employee and employer. And, and, and he started to talk about in verse 19 and 20, we'll look at here in a moment, about really suffering unjustly. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about suffering like Christ, called to suffer like Christ, this whole idea of how do we respond to unjust suffering. And again, this is not just in the workplace. This is in our Christian life. So in verse 21, there's four headings today. First thing we're going to look at is, as I've gotten titled, called for a purpose. In verse 21, called for a purpose if you're taking notes. We'll look at that word called to begin with. For you have been called for this purpose. Obviously, this, this call in verse 21 is the effectual call that we talk about a lot, guys. Right? This is that effectual call that God in His, in His sovereignty, in His, um, His own choosing before eternity and eternity past, when He set His love upon us that we talked about earlier in this letter, that foreknowledge of God, that choosing of God, this unconditional election, the elect that He chose before eternity, And so this call is when at a given point in time He calls us to Himself by His power. By His power. This this effectual call. John 6.37, I think Jesus gives a good picture of this. 
He said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. So all of those that in eternity past, we can read about it, especially I believe in like John 17, talks about this, this people that the Father gave to the Son. And that's who the Son came, as we're going to look at today, when He bore our sins in His body on the cross. It was this people, His elect, His sheep. And, it said, and He says in John 6, all that the Father gives me, they will come to me. And that happens when God calls them, when He calls us. This call that we're going to talk about today, He mentions this call a few other times in this letter. In chapter 2, verse 9, He mentions this call. He talks about us being a chosen race. And it says this at the end of verse 9, who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So we, like, we rejoice in those kind of truths, do we not? We've been called by God out of darkness into light. Amen? One of, some of my, my favorite language in the Bible. That we have been called out of darkness into light. In chapter 5, verse 10, in the same letter, he makes reference to the call. He says, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So these texts here, you know, we're talking about being called out of darkness into His light. Um, called you to His eternal glory in Christ. Man, these are things we can get excited about. About that effectual call. But today, guys, he's talking about the call. He's talking about those who are called. But he's, he's given a little bit different explanation about this call. And it's that we're called to suffer. Part of being called to God is that we're called to suffer. I think Paul, in agreement with Peter, says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, he says, For to you it has been granted... For Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but to also suffer for His sake. Do you hear that language, guys? We've been called, yes, to believe. We've been called out of darkness. Called to His eternal glory in Christ, but we've also been called to suffer. And I think it's very important. Paul makes this this case in Philippians 1, it's really what Peter's going to be telling us as well. It's been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe, but also to suffer for His sake. Any suffering that we endure is to be for the Lord's sake. Okay? For the Lord's sake. The word this in, um, in verse 21. You have been called for this purpose... I think it's real important that we understand what this purpose is. And I believe we can see that when we look back up into verse 19 and 20 from last week. He says, For this finds favor in verse 19, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. You guys remember we talked about that last week. So that word this in verse 21, where he says, you have been called for you have been called for this purpose, is referring back to those verses. It refers back to trusting God while doing what is right. For this purpose. Enduring unjust suffering. You have been called for this purpose. To endure unjust suffering. For, for suffering for what's doing right. That's what we've been called to in the Christian faith. When God called us to Himself. And, and why are we called to suffer? He tells us right here in the second half of verse 21. Because Christ suffered as an example and we are to follow Him. And that's our next point. Called to follow His example. And point number two. We're called to follow Christ's example. We're going to look at this in verses 21 through 23. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, 
leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Okay, before we talk about how we are to suffer like Christ, I think it's real important that I make that I clear one thing up, guys. We don't ever need to compare our suffering in a certain sense to Christ. We're never going to suffer like Christ did. We're never going to suffer to the degree He did, especially, well, I would say obviously, when we're talking about Christ's pain for sin. Okay, We're not called to suffer like Christ in that way. We're not bearing the wrath of God for somebody else's sin. So no person will ever suffer to that degree or in that likeness. But we are to follow His example. And I think this is what Peter's getting at. We are to follow His example in how He suffered, first of all, during His life, which is theologians call His act of obedience. And we're going to look at some examples. We are to, we are to model our lives. We are to follow His example in how He suffered during His life. And then even in His death, when He was upon the cross, His passive obedience particularly his response to his suffering while he was upon the cross. We're not bearing the weight of sin, but we do learn from our Master how to suffer persecution and unjust suffering. That's really the the heart of this passage today. Turn over to Luke chapter 9 real quickly. Luke chapter 9. Verse 22-24. He tells His disciples this. He says in verse 22, "...the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day." And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. Really, this is just a a, a call, an invitation to the Christian life from Christ himself. He's reminding them in verse 23 23, that that He must suffer. And really in verse 24 and 25, and we could keep reading further, it's a picture of the Christian life. It's a picture of Christ calling people to Himself and what it is that we should expect. That if we desire to come after Him, we must be willing to deny ourselves. And when, whenever we think about denying ourselves, beloved, we're, we're talking about denying our, our sin, our sinful nature, our selfishness. There's going to be a certain amount of suffering that just comes with that. And from this world that, that continually has a pull upon us. To, and he says to take up his cross daily and follow me. His disciples and those in that day, they would have known what he meant by take up your cross That was an an instrument of death, of the worst form of death. And it was a picture that He was clearly telling them that they had a much better understanding than we do. That if you're going to follow Me, you need to be willing, first of all, to die to yourself. At the very least, we need to be willing to die to to ourself. And yes, it may end up meaning you give your very life. And they understood that. So it's a picture that if Christ was telling His disciples, because He had a lot of false disciples that were following Him for the, for the goodies and the treats, but He would remind them that if you want to follow Me, you need to be willing to suffer. To follow in My steps and to suffer. And listen to what He says in verse 25, guys. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 24. 
For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. I'm going to try to really attach that to, to 1 Peter 5.10 that we looked at a while ago. It says, he, he called you to His eternal glory in Christ. Okay? So let me, read a, let me read another passage in Luke and then try to make this connection, guys, and help you understand what I'm trying to say here. In Luke 24, verses 25 through 26, He says this. I'll let you turn there if you want to turn. But Luke chapter 24, verses 25 and 26. Because it, it's going to come down to this, guys. Do we want the glory in this life or the next? Okay, that's the question we need to ask ourselves. The world says, get it all now. Okay? Luke 24, verses 25 and 26. And he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter in to His glory. In other words, beloved, His path, Christ is saying, His path to glory was through the path of suffering. Okay? It's through the path of suffering. And the same is true for us. And I believe that's exactly what He's saying back in, in Luke chapter 9. He's making that, not, not the exact same wording, but the same language. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. Whoever wishes to, to save his life, to, to live for the glory of this life, is going to lose it in the end. That, that glory that we're called to, beloved, we are, we, are, we, are, we are called to His eternal glory in Christ, but it comes through the path of suffering. That's the path that He took, and that's the path that we take as His disciples. Listen to what John Owen says. I just happened to be reading uh, his book on the, on the glory of Christ at the same time that I was studying for this. And he says this, In Christ, sufferings went before glory. Just think about the life of Christ. Sufferings went before glory. And so it must be with us. Satan and the world both offer immediate glory. Right? Save your life in this world. Live it up in this world. Receive the glory and the applause in this world. Owen says, but this glory will be followed by eternal suffering. He says, first the good things of this life and then eternal misery is the way of this world and its God. You see how everything's backwards with the world and with Christ's economy. Christ says, follow me. Yes, there may be suffering. There will be suffering. Some will suffer more than others. But in the end, in the end, when we lose our life in this world, we gain it in the next. That's what He's communicating. And part of this, it's suffering. It's suffering. So we're called to follow His example. In verse 22, it says, "...who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in His mouth." So of course, Christ's suffering was unjust. Amen? His suffering was unjust. He was perfect. He was perfect and without sin. And think, everything Christ did pleased the Father. I mean, try to wrap your mind around that. That's how perfect He was. Everything He did, every thought He ever had, every motive He ever had, pleased the Father. And yet, when you think about His life, when you think about the Son of God's life, just that we have some things that we have recorded in Scripture, He was accused of being a blasphemer. Can you imagine that? The perfect God-man was accused of blasphemy. He was, he was accused of doing His works by the power of the devil. 
the God-man. When we, when we think about what we're going to, in this next verse, how He was reviled and didn't revile in return, and He was a man. He was tempted just like you and I to respond in sin, but He didn't. This was the perfect God-man that was accused of doing His works by the power of Satan. And we know how evil that is because Jesus said in that context that those men who did that had all of His testimony, all of His example. They had the God-man in the flesh and He said this sin was unforgivable. He was accused of being insane by his family. You guys remember that? He said, this man's lost his mind. Again, everything he did pleased the Father. And yet he's accused unjustly of all these things. I want you to think about your Christian life, guys. Have you ever, have you ever been misunderstood? Have you ever been falsely accused or insulted because of your faith? Have you ever been have you ever been labeled as somebody who's lost your mind or uh, your newfound faith by those by those you love, by family, friends who know you? Maybe they've made statements to your face or behind your back of, well, maybe it'll wear off after a while. This newfound faith. And it's just really, really insulting. Have you, have you guys been insulted like this? Just, just know this, guys. None of us have suffered like Him because He was perfect in everything He did. But just know that when you are insulted, again, for the sake of Christ, not for being rude, not for being a jerk, but for the sake of Christ, for your faith, just know that you're following in His steps. Okay? Take comfort in that. You're following in His steps. Steps. It's nothing strange that's happening to you. You're following in His steps. And so, how do we respond? That's the next question. How are we to respond when we, are, when we suffer unjustly for our faith in Christ? How are we to respond? In verse 23, it tells us, while being reviled, He did not revile in return. While suffering... He uttered no threats, but kept entrusting Himself to Him who judges righteously. So we're still under the second heading. We're called to follow His example. And we're going to look at two, two points here. First of all, in following His example, He did not take revenge. He did not take revenge. In Matthew 26.53, you don't have to turn there. This was the night of His arrest. Peter drew his sword, if you guys remember. You guys remember? He cut the guy's ear off. He was going for his head. Jesus told him to put it away. Put your sword away. And He said this, Do you not think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? So he could have done that. And in a sense, because he's God, he would have done that which is just, but he came to do the will of his Father. Okay? He did not take personal revenge on any, on any of his persecutors because he came to do the will of his Father. The will of his Father was that he would be nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put to death. But we see in this text, while being reviled, He did not revile in return. While suffering, He uttered no threats. One thing we need to remember that who is writing this text? Peter is writing it. Peter knows these things. Peter witnessed these things. For he walked with Christ for three years, did he not? And he was one of the inner three. So these things Peter are writing, he knows from being there, from witnessing it. And he also knows that these readers whom he's writing to are suffering unjustly 
for doing what is right for Christ's sake. So first of all, we see you can think of all the many different times that, that, that Christ suffered during His life on the cross and He never sought revenge. Secondly, we see He kept trusting His Father. He kept trusting His Father. In verse, 20, in verse 23, He said He did not revile and return. He uttered no threats, but kept entrusting Himself to Him who judges righteously. So that word Himself, I, I think it's in all of your Bibles. The word Himself. And it's in mine as well. But the, the, better, the better rendering, really, he, he entrusted the entire situation to the One who judges righteously. Not just Himself. He entrusted Himself. He entrusted His disciples. He entrusted His Abusers, his persecutors, he entrusted the entire situation to him who judges righteously. And the phrase kept entrusting, it says he kept entrusting himself. It's an imperfect tense, an ongoing activity, in other words, meaning he had been doing that his whole life. He, he had kept trusting himself to his father, the one who judges righteously. And what it means by that is Christ knew that His Father would either repay the wrongdoer justly. Christ knew that. As a man suffering, he knew, that, he knew that His Father would repay the wrongdoer justly or that He would forgive the wrongdoer because of the work that He was going to do on the cross. So He left it in the hands of His Father. Either way, Christ, as a man, knew that God would be just. Okay, We need to have that mindset, guys. When we are treated unjustly, we need to have that mindset that God will do that which is just. He will do that which is right. When you're being treated unjustly for Christ's sake, or for righteousness' sake, entrust it to God. That's what we're seeing here. Entrust it to God. Don't take it in your own hands. When we can entrust things to the Lord, beloved, when we can truly leave it in the hands of God, we can have the attitude of our Lord. Because if we look further, when He was upon the cross, what did He say? Did He say, Father, strike them dead right now? No, He didn't say that, did He? He said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That needs to be our attitude. Beloved, when we are dealing with sinful men, we have to remember what the Bible says about them, the same that was true about us. Before He called us out of that darkness, we were in darkness. We were blind. We didn't know what we're doing. Our attitude needs to be this very thing. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And what will that lead us to, to be doing? That would lead us to, to be praying for our persecutors just like Christ tells us to. These are, these are ways in, in how we are to respond to our enemies. Having this heart of compassion. But it, but it takes us willingly, or shall I say, on purposefully entrusting it to God, knowing that He's going, He's going to do the right thing. He'll handle it. I don't know if you guys have seen the documentary "Tortured for Christ." Have you guys seen that? The story about Richard Wormbrand, the founder of Voice of the Martyrs. It's his story uh, when he was put in a Romanian communist prison for 14 years and and it, and the, and the, the the name of the the movie is called um tortured for christ and that's exactly what happened with him and many others they were tortured it's really really hard to watch um 
but it's encouraging at the same time. But, but they were tortured in ways that, that just makes you cringe. And so there was a, there was a point in this, in this film, towards the end, he had been there several years already. You know, was really skinny at this time. Um, was tortured by a certain individual, a certain guard, did the torturing. And, and most of it was in, the, was in the realm of tell us where the others are at. And so he would not tell, and so the torture just went on and on. And there was one night where this particular, this, this, this man that would torture Richard was walking down along the cells. You know, it had a big iron door with a, just a little window that he could look in and, and see Wormbrand. And he could hear him praying. Again, this is years after he'd been suffering harshly. And he could hear him praying. And he hollered through there, Wormbrand, what in the world are you asking your God for now? You've had everything taken from you. Just really mocking him. And his response was, Sir, I'm praying for you. And, it, and, the, and the man was, he was speechless. That is what it looks like to suffer in this way, beloved. We don't have the capacity to do this apart from the Spirit's power. But that is what it looks like. I'm praying for you. We have to leave it to the Lord, guys. That's the point. We have to leave it to the Lord. We're not to take revenge. We're to leave it for the Lord. We're to pray for our persecutors. Paul says in Romans 12, 19-21, now take, never take your own revenge, beloved, but have room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. We have to, we have to trust Him with that. But He goes on to say, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. <clears throat> exactly what Brother Wormbrand was doing in the prison. So thirdly, guys, we, we, we've, we've taken a look at how we're to respond. How we're to respond to suffering. We look at Christ's life. That He did not revile when reviled. That He uttered no threats. So when you're going through the Gospels and you're reading, keep that in mind. Uh, keep that in mind when you're reading in your own time and contemplate and meditate upon those truths. But thirdly, we're going to look at in verse 24 that all of this that we're looking at, all of this suffering unjustly, it's all made possible by the cross. At the cross. All of this wouldn't be... None of it would be possible if He hadn't done what He did for us on the cross. Verse 24, And He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by His wounds you were healed. Here is the substitutionary work of Christ on our behalf. He Himself bore our sins. So the third, the third heading is made, all of this is made possible by the cross. And the first thing we're going to look at is He bore our sins. In other words, He carried the massive weight of sin that was committed by all of His people. All of His elect, all of His sheep, all of their sins. He carried that massive weight to the cross. God the Father counted our sins against Christ and then punished Him accordingly. Think of all of your filth, guys, that nobody knows except you and the Lord. And multiply that times millions and millions. That's what Christ bore on the cross. That's what the Father laid upon Him, imputed to Him upon the cross, and then punished Him. You think of somebody who dies without Christ and are punished accordingly for all eternity in a place called hell? Multiply that times millions. 
And our minds can't even... We can't wrap our minds around that. How He suffered that on the tree. He suffered the penalty that was due for all of His chosen people. His dearly loved ones. His sheep. This is what theologians call penal substitution, guys. Right here. He, it says, He Himself bore our sins. He did it willingly, in other words. Voluntarily, without coercion. John 10, verses 15 and 16 and 17, it says, I laid down My life for My sheep. I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. And that's exactly what He did. He gave up His life and He took it up again as He conquered death through His resurrection. He bore our sin Beloved, He bore our sin. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. Paul says He forgave us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. Oh, when you think about your sin and you think about all that you're all of the weight of your sin, the debt of your sin that was stood against you, stood against us. Remember when we looked at Psalms? When we was talking about... I believe it was when we looked at Psalm 2, but we were, we were talking about some other Psalms. In the, in the, I think it's Psalm 7 where it says His bow is bent. His arrows are like fiery shafts. And that's a picture of God's wrath that's going to be released at the sinner if he doesn't repent. That's the same language. This, this record of debt that stood against us, it was hostile to us. His wrath, His fiery arrows was pointed at us. And it says He has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross. That's what Christ bore in His body. All of our filth, all of our debt that we've earned because of our sin. That we would have been crushed under that same wrath. But Christ bore it. And it it says He, He took it out of the way having nailed it to the cross. You know what language that is, guys? His words upon the cross. What did He say? To telestai. It has been accomplished. It is finished. Divine justice was satisfied as He bore your sin in His body on the cross or on the tree. In Leviticus chapter 16, verses 21 and 22, we see a picture of Christ in the scapegoat. It says this, on the Day of Atonement, then Aaron shall, shall lay both of his hands on the head of of the live goat and confess it and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins. And he shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. The goat shall bear on itself all of their iniquities to a solitary land and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. Beloved, Christ took away our sins and removed them from us just as the scapegoat bore the sins of the people. A picture or a type of Christ. And then carried them away. So the Lamb of God first bore our sin in His body on the cross and then He took them away. The words of John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, beloved. He bore our sin in His body on the tree. He took our sin 
away. Galatians 3.13 says this, Christ redeemed us from what? The curse of the law. The curse that was upon all of us as being violators of the law of God. He redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written in Deuteronomy chapter 21, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And that's why I believe Peter used the word Here the NAS has cross, but the better rendering is He bore our sins in His body on the tree. He's making that connection, guys. He removed the curse that was due for us by becoming a curse for us. So the second thing we see in verse 24 is He gave us a new life. He gave us a new life. He bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That we might die to sin. That we might, in other words, dying to the dominating power of sin that Paul speaks about in Romans 6. That word die has the idea of to, to, be, to be away from, to depart, be missing, or to cease existing. That we, this is really how it reads, that we, having died to sin, might live to righteousness. Because we have died to sin. Because we've been set free from the slavery and and tyranny of sin, we can now live to righteousness. In other words, the purpose of His death was to put our sin away. To put our sin away. The penalty of our sin and the power of our sin was dealt with on the cross that we may live a new life. That we may live a new life. That we may walk in newness of life. You see, that's why when God calls us to the Christian life, we are able to do it because of our newness of life. Because of the Holy Spirit. Because of what Christ did upon the tree. We can now know Him. We can now suffer for the sake of Christ. Because of what He did upon the cross, He's opened up a way for us to know Him, to be in fellowship with Him, and to follow Him, and to suffer for the sake of Christ. Because He suffered the wrath of His Father in your place. And the third thing we see in verse 24 on the cross, it says, for by His wounds you were healed. By His wounds you were healed. Now our our charismatic friends, they want to hijack that verse, and many like that verse, and claim physical healing. So I would advise you not to do that. Really this phrase means to be forgiven. It's, It's primarily spiritual. The, the wounds that the word wounds it really it refers to all of the suffering that brought him death. But having said that, physical healing is a part of the atonement, but it's not guaranteed now in this life. Revelation twenty one, verses one through four, we can see maybe the fulfillment of that, guys, because healing is part of the atonement. It's just we know that. All of the physical part of us not guaranteed in this life. That's why we have doctors. That's why we're gonna we're all gonna die, right? So that's rather obvious. But Revelation twenty one verses one through four. Then I saw a new heaven, guys. This is what we hope for. This is our anticipation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He will dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death. There will no longer be any mourning, crying, or pain. The first things have passed away. And there's other passages you can read as well. That we will, we will one day have a, a perfect resurrected body. No more sickness. 
No more dying. But that stuff awaits us in the future. And so, but we see what Christ, do you see what Christ purchased for you upon the cross, guys? Oh, let that be, let that be a reminder when we sing these songs to the Lord and we talk about the gospel of just what He did upon the tree for us. That God's wrath is not directed towards us. We're not under the curse of the law anymore. That we have experienced healing, forgiveness of sin. Someday, a complete, perfect, resurrected body in heaven with Him. And so lastly, let's look at verse 25. We're going to look at from, from strain from strain to safe. From strain to, 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 to being made safe. In verse 25, it says, For you were continually strain like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. This word for here, at the beginning of verse 25, it's a connecting word. And it, and it indicates this. It indicates the healing that we looked at in verse 24 is from the punishment deserved found in verse 25. It says, For by his wounds you have been, for by his wounds you were healed, for you were continually strained like sheep. Can you see the connection there? And that phrase, continually strain like sheep. Guys, this is a picture of the lost. This is a picture, again, he's writing to these, these believers and, and, and he's, he's reminding them. He says, you were. So this is for all of us. And for those who are not in Christ presently, this is a picture of lost sinners. What does it mean to be lost? You don't know where you're going. You're wandering. Wayward. Without purpose. It's very dangerous. Helpless. It's, it's like Christ said, it's sheep without a shepherd. That's the picture here. You are continually strained like sheep without a shepherd. And it says, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. That word return, guys, it does not suggest that they had been with Christ prior to their strain. This verb is used elsewhere of turning or being converted from sin. Repentance. That's all that is. Repentance. You turned. What did Paul say? Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So you were strained like sheep, but now you have returned. You have turned to the shepherd and the guardian, the overseer, the lover of your souls. You went from strain to now you're safe under his protection. That's the picture. Christ is the good shepherd and the guardian or, or the overseer or the bishop over your souls. Over the souls, beloved, that have turned to Him. You see that? It's only those that have turned to Him. He's the shepherd pictured in Ezekiel 34, verses 15 and 16. He says in that text, I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. What does it say? No man seeks after God, but he seeks after us. He says, I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. And then in closing, guys, turn to Psalm 23. We're going to close there. We sang it earlier. Psalm 23, David says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Where do you hear this psalm read many times at funerals? Right? It just seems to be just maybe a tradition. Obviously, it's a beautiful psalm, guys, but the one thing we need to remember about this psalm, David is writing and, 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 and using the language of the Lord as His shepherd. As His shepherd. So the point that I want to make in closing, guys, we, we've, looked at, we've looked at His work upon the cross. We've looked at how all of us at one time were strained like sheep, lost sheep. But God granted us repentance. We came through the saving knowledge of Christ and now He is our shepherd. So just understand this about Psalm 23. You know, many times, again, it's sang at funerals, guys, for, for people who... Um, Christ was never their shepherd. And so so this, this psalm is, is for those who are under the shepherding care of Jesus Christ. So this psalm, it can't be... A person can't read this and, and claim these truths unless you have come to Christ personally. Unless you have come to Him. Unless you have turned from your sins like Peter said in verse 25. Unless you have done an about face and have come and put your faith in Him. Listen to the language here. Not going to go through the whole thing. But, but you hear... You hear the shepherd walking with him and protecting him. In verse 5, it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And that's true, guys, when Christ is our shepherd. But if Christ is not your shepherd, guys, He is your enemy. He doesn't protect you from enemies, but Christ Himself is your enemy if He's not your shepherd. So this language is true, guys. Whenever we come to Christ by faith. And so you, you heard today. You heard today in detail what He has done for you upon the cross. How He bore your sin in His body on the tree. How He laid down His life on His own authority and raised it up again for our justification. And so I would appeal to you today if... If you do not know Christ as your shepherd, come to Him today by faith. Repent and believe in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And then He can be your shepherd. And you can, you can begin to follow Him. You can begin to experience the, what Paul calls the fellowship of suffering. When we suffer for Christ's sake, we're entering into an intimate fellowship with Him. But it starts with coming to Him as your personal shepherd. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your, for your Word today, Lord. Thank You for the truth of it always. Lord, thank You that we can build our lives upon it. Thank You for giving us instruction in Your Word, Lord, how to suffer, how to do it with grace, Lord how to suffer like our, like our Lord did. Father, we thank You for the work on the cross, Lord, that makes all of this possible. We thank You for loving us, God, not leaving us in our sin, but sending Your Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Lord, our, our only response is thank You. And Lord, help us, God. Help us to live out these verses, Lord. Help us to, to live righteously, Lord, our new life in Christ, God. Father, give us a, 
Give us a hatred for our sin, Lord. Give us a love for, for Christ. Lord, help us to love the things that You love and to hate the things that You hate. Grant us repentance in our lives, Lord, where we need it. Father, I thank You for this body of believers, Lord. I just pray that, that Your Spirit, Father, would um, be at work in our hearts, God. Um, if there's anybody here who doesn't know You, Lord, Lord, that You would call them to Yourself. And Father, be with us the rest of today, Lord, as we, as we look at Your Word. In Christ's name, Amen.